Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five star reviews on Trustpilot, Google, and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process, and life changing results, which you can see for yourself online. That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Pool today. And discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or give them a call at 877-646-5347. Again, that number is 877-646-5347. Podcast IRL will be live in Miami with Patrick Bet David, Donald Trump Jr., Matt Gates, and Luke Rudkowski. Join us there. Get your tickets by clicking the link in the description below or by going to Timcast.com. And the winner of last night's Republican debate is Donald Trump, despite not actually being there nor saying anything about any of it at all. Uh, yeah, when asked who won the debate, Donald Trump is the winner, and he was not even there. Now, in second place, for those that did attend the lesser known GOP debates, is Vivek Ramaswamy, for which I'm a big fan. I think he's, uh, he, he may be coming off a little too, uh, uh, what's the right word? Um, personified? Maybe plastic, maybe plastic. I'm not trying to rag on the guy, but uh, Vivek is really trying to make a character of himself, in my opinion, to stand out. And he maybe went right over the line, but it's okay. I, I think it's mostly fun. I think Vivek may be too smart is the issue. I really do think so. And that's not a complete compliment, right? I think all of the people up on those sta- on that stage are very, very smart. But to varying degrees, they're playing, you know, a, a reading level game. Some of these candidates like Chris Christie are going third grade reading level. And again, I am not saying this to insult the candidates. I'm saying the strategy of someone like Chris Christie he goes, Donald Trump is, is not going to come up on the stage to deal with this issue, this issue, because he's ducking them. And, you know, people aren't going to call him Donald Trump. They're going to call him Donald Duck. And then he chuckles and no one, no one laughs. It's like, OK, yeah, like real lowbrow. Nikki Haley made a huge mistake, in my opinion, going for the shrill, ignorant woman bit, which I really don't understand. For example, Vivek Ramaswamy said, we should not have p- uh, kids under 16 using addictive social media. And Nikki Haley turns and goes, you want kids on TikTok? And it's like, lady, he literally said the opposite of that just now. Vivek's issue, in my opinion, criticism across the board, right? But, but you know, compliments for, for, for uh, a lot of these uh, candidates. Vivek's uh, issue for me was that he was speaking in this very logical high, uh, um, highbrow kind of way. Again, I am not saying this as a compliment. A lot of people are going to be like, you're just cheering on Vivek and you're insulting Ron. No, no, no. What I'm saying is 
for the average American, you have to find that balance. And if you come out and say, as president, we're going to have a 3% reduction in tariffs pertaining to China. Now, when these trade deals were set, we had to consider the Bering Strait. Now, this is a huge component and people are going to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So you've got to find that balance. I think Vivek is trying to be as presidential as possible. He's doing a really good job. But like I said, like the, the, the persona and the talk and the way he does it is for me a little over the top. But I, I do agree that of the candidates that were there, Vivek did the best. What was really, really off-putting was, yo, Tim Scott, bro. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Tim Scott, policy-wise, South Carolina, all that stuff. But the dude would not shut up. They cut his microphone off. It's really funny when you can hear the ambient sound of Tim Scott going, rah, 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 and it's like, dude, dude. I get it, man. Okay, I get it. You need airtime. But they cut his mic. Now, Vivek would be talking. And then all of a sudden, he's got Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Tim Scott all yelling at him. Sorry, guys. That's good for Vivek. You were bickering and and yelling as Vivek had the floor. And it makes you look beneath him. It makes you look like he's center stage and you're biting at his heels. And that's that's probably what it was. That's probably what it was. Now, I don't I don't think any of these people are going to win. As much as I'm a fan of Vivek, as much as Ron DeSantis as a governor, I'm a huge fan. You know, for a while I was saying he's the best politician in the country. I now think that's Matt Gates. Shout out Matt Gates. And that's only, to be honest, Matt Gates does a great job. There's a lot of great members of Congress. But that omnibus spending bill stuff Matt was working on, one of the most important things I think has been done in this country in a very, very long time. For those that aren't familiar, Matt Gates pushed back and along with many other Republicans, but he led the charge against this idea that we'd have 5,000 pages just funding literally anything and everything without debate. And Matt actually got a, a strong effort towards single subject spending bills like you want to spend X, single bill, we vote. I think that's one of the most important things done. So shout out to Matt Gates. He's not running for president, however. So as much as I do like a lot of these people, and I have compliments across the board for all of them, despite me not liking some of them, like Nikki Haley really, really irks me. When, you know, she's very much pro-war. So is Mike Pence. These people just just not interested, not interested. Nikki Haley came off as, in, in my opinion, she came off as shrill. Uh, and the reason I say that is I know, I know all the feminists are going to be like, you're attacking her for being a woman. Like, dude, shrill was because she would raise her voice when interrupting and say, you want kids on TikTok? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Bring it down. Bring it down. Tim Scott would go, whoa, 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 whoa. And it's like, okay, dude, not your turn. There's a difference between like raising your voice in a shrill manner. Now, maybe, maybe you want to make the argument that women are more likely to be shrill when they do something like that than men. Look at um, that, that Theranos lady. She talked like this. She lowered her voice. That was also kind of weird. I think the issue for Nikki Haley and why she comes off this way, and maybe you might think it's just something that is more likely to affect women. That may be the case. I think it's because she... When, when, when you, in, in this shocking manner, take someone, invert their statement on the spot and then yell at them while they're talking, it doesn't, it doesn't play very, very well. My view on all of this is uh, I'm actually, I actually deeply agree with uh, uh, this, this uh, who is the w- real winner of the presidential debate. I think obviously Donald Trump is the winner. He's the front runner. Prediction markets have him at like 70% to win the Republican primary. So spare me. It's done. None of these people will be president. And as much as I, I like and have respect for some of them, we outright said right away last night, yeah, 
No, none of these people will be president. Oh, man. You know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I never want to run for office. I, I would never. But, you know, I would just love to be at a debate stage like that so I can insult everyone. And just I'd love to be up there. And when they're all talking and they'd be like, uh, Mr. Poole, what's your answer on immigration? I'd just be like, out. You got to go. You can't stay. You came here illegally. You broke the law. You're gone. That's it. Have a nice day. Why? What are we talking about? It's insane. This idea that like, well, you broke the law. So how about we just d- negotiate? No, no, no. You broke the law. You leave. Have a nice day. Why are we spending money housing illegal immigrants? We got a nice bus for you. It's very comfortable. It's got air conditioning. We're going to put you on a plane. It's going to cost us a lot of money. And we're upset that you're making us spend it, but you can't stay. Now, here's what we can do. You can apply to come in legally, legally. Okay. And that's fantastic. And, you know, when we figure out proper placement, we will absolutely bring you in. I think the problem is we want people in this country who are going to follow the rules and agree with our way of life and the laws that we've put in place. And if the first act you commit when coming to this country is to spit in the face of our norms, customs, rules, laws, etc., I don't think you should be here. Anyway, I digress. I'm sick of these wishy-washy garbage answers. This is why Donald Trump wins, because I can only I can only hope to emulate that raw energy that Trump brought in 2016. Now, I don't think he had it completely in 2020. He's got a little bit of it now, but 2016 was something special. They're up there and they're giving you these answers where they're just like, you know, immigration is a very important issue and we need comprehensive reform. We cannot be, oh, in China this and China that. I just be like, listen, it's really simple, okay? Secure the borders, lock the gates, increase spending on bollard fencing. We're spending billions of dollars, billions on non-citizens. Just spend the billions on a wall. It's funny. Trump's like, I'm going to build a big wall. And they're like, how are you going to pay for it? Well, you know that money that you'd be spending on the immigrants to house them in New York? We'll use that money. How does that sound? We'll cut the funding from New York. We'll build a wall. Not literally a wall. Bollard fencing. Hey, does that mean it's going to stop every illegal immigrant? No, many of them fly here. But it doesn't mean we're not going to try. But I just love to be up there on that stage. Not because I want to be president. It's the opposite. So that I can stand up there and be like, none of these people are going to be president. Why are we wasting our time? Don, I'd be up there and be like, what's, what's your strategy, Tim? Mr. Poole, what's your strategy for dealing with inflation? Uh, I'll vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> and I'll be like, what? That's not a plan. I know. I don't want to be president. I'm voting for Trump. And there's nothing any of these candidates are going to say that's going to change that. Donald Trump is not a savior. Donald Trump is not a hero. Donald Trump has probably done a lot of really bad things. Is he, you know, is there fraud in his businesses? You know, who knows? Who knows? They've not proven it. But I'm not going to sit here and be like, Trump's a saint. No, I'm going to be like, dude, Joe Biden has botched it up and everyone agrees. Some of these other candidates, they got some good ideas, but I'm sorry, man. They're all B tier, B, C and D tier. Like Vivek Ramaswamy, he's top notch, perhaps a little too young, but he's better than the rest. I'll give him that. Not beating Donald Trump. He's not. And I got to be, you know, I really do think Vivek would probably do things a lot better than Trump. But, you know, here's the thing about Trump. He's got almost nothing left to lose. And every time, I love this, every time they come at him now trying to dissolve the Trump organization, I'm like, thank you. Let me make this very, very clear to all of you. I'm really glad. I'm so happy that they've gone so far 
that they are trying to literally destroy Trump's life in every possible way. Please unleash this man. Please take everything from him and leave him a haggard bum in the streets with glowing red eyes being like, I have nothing left. And the only thing he will have left is revenge. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I wouldn't mind a run-of-the-mill Trump 2016.2, where he's like, look, we're going to build a wall. We're not going to arrest Hillary. We're going to build a wall. We're going to send home. You can't stay. All that stuff. It's fine. Okay, fine. Bring manufacturing back to, to, to the Midwest. Get the auto manufacturers back here. Secure the border. Get rid of the TPP garbage. No foreign wars. All that fantastic. We had great numbers economically in 2019. But now what they've done destroying Trump's life. I mean, the Mar-a-Lago stuff is laughable because I posted this tweet and I'm just gonna, I'm just going to bring it up again because there's just, oh, so much. Oh, so much. I tweeted this last night during the show as we were pulling comparables on uh, real estate in Mar-a-Lago. And you may have seen the, uh, the story. I covered it last night or I covered it yesterday where they say uh, uh, Mar-a-Lago is worth only $20 million. Look at this image from Zillow. Just as like, okay, it's kind of hard to see, but You've got this tiny little parcel of land for $30 million next to Mar-a-Lago, and Zillow has Mar-a-Lago at $24.2 million. This tiny little lot next door to Mar-a-Lago, $26 million. They are lying. They are crooked. They are corrupt. And this is insane. So you know why Donald Trump won the debate? He wasn't there. But let's go through uh, uh, where we're currently at. Jack Posobiec says, DeSantis gave Biden a free pass on inflation and blamed it on Trump. The Biden campaign is now thanking DeSantis for his comments and posting the clip everywhere. You'll hear this from the White House every single time the inflation question is ever asked again. Ron DeSantis screwed up. These people are sabotaging Donald Trump for no reason. Why are they running against him? And Vivek Ramaswamy, you want to know why he wins? He said, I will respect the legacy of Donald Trump and everything he did. And I'm like, bingo. What did I say about the Ron DeSantis campaign early on? I said, look at Vivek's trending with 110,000 posts. I said, Ron should come out and say, Trump did a tremendous job. There were some mistakes. Nobody's perfect. I think we can improve on that. Ron should have said, no attacks on Trump. That's a waste of your time and energy. He should have said, hey, look, I think the reality is we will be lucky for a second Donald Trump term. I, I, I honestly do mean that. If we pull this off, if in 2024 Trump is the nominee, we must be behind Donald Trump. We must support him. And I think what we saw in his first term was tremendous, despite the fact he was weighed down by these ridiculous scandals and these bunk impeachments. If we get a repeat of 2019, we will be lucky. However, there's a reason why I'm running. And again, speaking as to how Ron DeSantis should have said it, he says that because we need someone who can get in there for four, four, uh, for two terms, four years, four years. OK, we need a full eight years. Trump's got one term left. I do think we would be lucky to have him. But also there's an opportunity for the American people to decide if they would like a fresh start 
and uh, someone who will uphold what Donald Trump has done. So with all due respect to Trump and the things he's done and the work he's done, my concern is that Donald Trump will be held back by the manipulations, the scandals, the history, and uh, it may be an effective tactic against him. But more importantly, politically, we have an opportunity for two terms fresh incumbents have a higher chance of winning. That means after Donald Trump completes this term, 2024 to 2028, there is going to be a more difficult road ahead for the Republicans to win the White House again. Incumbents have a major advantage. And so I think there's an opportunity right now to say, do you think I should I should give it a shot? And if the people choose Donald Trump, more power to them, tremendous respect. But we'll leave it to the voters. That's what he should have said. Instead, Ron DeSantis attacked Donald Trump. I think it was a, ter- ter- a terrible play. We have this from Stephen Chung. He says, apparently, Ron DeSantis challenged President Trump to a one-on-one debate. Sorry, Ron, we're not thirsty and desperate like you or sleazeball partner Gavin Newsom. Ron DeSantis challenged Trump to a one-on-one debate. You know why Trump said no? Ron DeSantis in the prediction market at Predict It for the GOP nomination is currently in third place behind Nikki Haley. Bro, look, if Vivek asked to debate Trump, I'm not going to be surprised. Trump says no. If Glenn Youngkin, Tim Scott, Trump's like, dude, the prediction markets have Trump at 74 cents. Okay, Nikki Haley's at 10 and DeSantis. How is DeSantis losing to Nikki Haley? I'm sorry. DeSantis did a lot better last night than he did previously. But the attacks on Trump were stupid. And it's funny because, uh, you know, we had Michael Knowles here and he's like, well, he has to do it. He has to. And I'm like, yeah, no, I get it. I do. You got to go after the big dog and try and score some points. But I think going after big dog is done in a more tactful way. And Vivek proved that. Now, to be fair, Vivek is still behind DeSantis. None of these people are winning. But Vivek went the approach of I will I will uh, 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 I, I will defend. And uh, uh, he says, I pre I, I forgot the exact quote, but he was like Donald Trump's. He's like, I will uphold Donald Trump's legacy in his first term. But, you know, we'll create an opportunity, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Ron DeSantis did make the point about. serving two terms. I agree. But it has to be done in a respectful manner to Trump, who did not complete two terms. That being said, still voting Trump. Nothing that they said is going to change my mind. Take a look at this. 538's got new polls out. Yeah. YouGov has Biden ahead of Trump, five points and one point. Doesn't matter, though. In aggregate, I love this. There's no uh, aggregate. uh, uh, There's no aggregate poll number for uh, uh, 538 right now. I don't know if they used to or whatever. The I, I thought they used to have like, here's the average. It's not here anymore. So sure, fine, whatever. But if you look at McLaughlin and Associates, Trump's up four, five, seven, four. Morning Consult has Biden up three on DeSantis and Biden up one on Trump. You got JL Partners with Biden up eight points against Mike Pence, three against Ramaswamy. But wait, JL Partners has Trump beating Biden by one, Haley by two, DeSantis by one, Scott by one. Look, ABC Washington Post put out two polls. Trump's up 10 points and nine points. OK, Trump is clearly the guy for the job as of right now between Trump and Biden in aggregate over at RCP, real clear politics. Donald Trump has a 1.1 percent aggregate lead over Joe Biden, even with two very beneficial polls coming out for Joe Biden. So look, there you go. Jack Pasuk made another really great point in pointing out they did not bring up the weaponization of the DOJ one time. None of them did. This is why I'm just like, I wish I was on the stage, man. I wish I was up there. This is probably why a lot of people decide to run knowing they'll lose. 
because they want to be on the stage to bring up issues. Fair point. I would never run. I don't want to be president. I don't want to be in office. I want to complain on the internet, I guess. But man, oh, dude, just if I was up there, I'd be standing up there and I'd be, they'd be like, what is the first thing you would do as president to solve the problem of the, the economy? I'd be like, uh, well, the economy is very important. I completely agree. But it wouldn't be the first thing I'd try to solve, to be completely honest. You know, while I do think there are some reforms we can make in, say, like fracking, uh, nuclear energy, fossil fuels, we got a lot of resources in Alaska. These, the, the energy, uh, uh, creating more energy, this is really going to help the economy. You know, Ian Crossland is always talking about fusion cell stuff, fusion, hydrogen, all that stuff. He's actually got a, a good point. If we can get cheaper, cleaner energy, then this is going to improve the economy for everybody. So that's there. But I'll tell you, I'm sorry. The first thing I'm going to do, it ain't going to be about the economy. So if you're sitting there wondering at the price of price of milk, bread and eggs, well, sit still. It is a priority. But priority number one, prosecuting, arresting criminal charges against all of the corrupt Democrats, DAs, prosecutors. I'm not kidding. We are going to have special counsel, special prosecutors. We are going to weed out the corruption first and foremost, because we can't have fighting in the streets. We can't have cops arresting locals in Staten Island. This country needs to uphold the rule of law. You want to improve the economy? I'll tell you one thing we can do right away. Deport the, the, the people who have entered this country illegally. We'll stop spending your tax dollars on non-citizens. We will remove them from the country. They will stop putting a strain on our economy. This idea that bringing people in increases demand, it also puts immediate strain on local economics, okay? Let's bring back manufacturing, help the people who live here, and stop supporting this corrupt DOJ, these corrupt actions. No, no, no. It's time that we say the rule of law must stand. This is going to be an improvement for everything. You want to know why? Look, right now we've got Target stores, CVS, all of these places closing down. That's bad for the economy. Why? Crime's running rampant. I covered this, uh, talked about this story. This woman was brutally murdered in Baltimore. And it turns out this guy was known to police. The police warned he would do it again. They knew he had uh, committed, tor he had tortured. I'll talk about this later. They knew and they said nothing. Yeah, in Baltimore. So at this point, I'm just like, we need strong rule of law. And, you know, I'm swayed by many of the arguments of conservatives about the failures of liberalism. And I mean real liberalism, classical liberalism. The maximizing of individuality results in these, this breakdown. There needs to be a balance between individual responsibility and community responsibility. A happy medium, as it were. But right now, man, I don't think we've been playing these games where we're attacking the front runner and providing fuel to Democrats that Biden is now, now using. DeSantis says Trump needs to defend himself on abortion. No, he doesn't. Trump's right. I, 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 all of these people out. I am not a conservative. The left may say that because they're nuts. No, I, I fall into the social liberal camp for the most part. Where do I find myself on abortion? You all know. I think uh, who was who was saying this, that Hillary Clinton had it right. Safe, legal and rare. I thought that was funny. Like, oh, Hillary Clinton had it right. huh? Yeah, well, look, safe, legal, rare. Um, I agree with. It shouldn't be illegal. It should be unthinkable. All of these things. I believe that there are circumstances where having government involvement in medical procedures is, is, is a bad thing. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. 
For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. However, I do think abortion is completely wrong. There is no easy answer to this because you are dealing with a woman and a child, both of whom I believe have inalienable human rights. And so you can't put someone on someone else's body against their will. That is to say, there's an argument to be made for elective abortion being made illegal. But uh, rape and other extreme circumstances, well, women, you know, women uh, will make the decision. The problem then is if we make an exception for rape, you then need government involvement and like forms and what, like a court hearing or something. Oh, man, this is brutal. So I don't have the answers. I really, really don't. I think Trump is right that there will be some kind of compromise. And I am totally OK with that, uh, despite morally having qualms and questions about how we solve this problem. I think the political reality of this is it's beyond my moral and philosophical capabilities to find a solution between two parties. I do not agree with the left at all on abortion at no limits. That's insane and should be banned outright. It should be completely illegal. It should be a serious crime to terminate the life of a baby post viability, in my opinion. That means Trump is right. Six weeks, 12 weeks. What's the what's the you know, where's the compromise going on stage and being like, we're staunchly pro-life and we want to ban it outright. I'm like, you you ain't helping yourself. Trump's right on this one. I don't think it's an easy solution. I have tremendous respect for the the pro-life arguments of my conservative friends, and I disagree. And I'll debate it to the ends of the earth. I just don't see it. I can't see it. In which case, I agree with Donald Trump. And Donald Trump's the one who got you these Supreme Court justices, which end up uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. You should be happy about that. I do think abortion is a federal issue, though, because the question of the life of the child is 14th Amendment. Do these unborn children have inalienable rights? They do. The problem I run into with abortion is there are two people occupying one body. Good luck solving these moral questions, man. I don't know. I don't have answers. But if you're going to come out and start attacking Donald Trump when he's seeking compromise and pulling in independents and moderates, you're burning yourself down. Sorry. I think Trump's right on this one. But here's where we are. Here's where we are. Attacking the big dog and wasting our time. I think Ron DeSantis did a lot better, but uh, attacking Donald Trump was a mistake. Vivek Ramaswamy did wonderfully, but uh, he came off a little plastic is, is one way I'd put it. He's trying to, you know, his, his people have commented that his hair is very tall and I'm like, no, oh, these are smart things, really. He knows that he needs to create a character that people can identify with and not be seen as a generic component. Burgum, for instance, is viewed very generically, despite being a very wealthy businessman. People just don't take him seriously. It's a joke. Vivek Ramaswamy pulls ahead and becomes recognizable. He's got this cadence to his voice. He's he maybe went a little too far with it. I don't know, man. I think Trump wins and he did. He did do as well as he did because it's not about Trump. It's about someone just saying, shut up. Oh, man, I'm sick of it. Okay, none of these people gave me anything that mattered to me. No, no, I know they said things, but it's like, bro, I ain't voting for any of these people. You know why? I can certainly say Donald Trump doesn't need to call Rosie O'Donnell a fat pig. Okay, I can certainly say he doesn't need to say, will you be in jail to Hillary Clinton, right? There's an issue of decorum. I've long said that. However, I must admit, those things being said by Trump are in the realm of authenticity. And that's what I want. I am just so sick of the plastic politician garbage. I know all of you are as well. So we need someone on the debate stage. Fine, wear a suit, whatever. Loosen your tie. I don't know. I don't care. 
That's why I'm like, I'd love to be up there. I would just be like, Tim Scott, dude, shut up. Okay, man, you're jumping in. All of this is plastic garbage. None of you believe half this crap. You've got, you know, have got consultants telling you what to say. Now I'm going to attack Donald Trump. Chris Christie's scripted line about Donald Duck. It's fake plastic garbage. I don't think any of these people actually care about what's going on for the most part. I'm, I'm talking about the debate. I'm telling you, all they're doing up there is they're saying, I am going to say these things in the hopes it generates enough votes so that I can do the, do the things I really want to do. I don't believe for a second any of these people believe the things they're saying, because when you watch a show like Timcast IRL, you get the real conversation. Okay, I had Vivek on the culture war and he's sitting there and then he like leans back and he says, yeah, they're probably going to get mad at me for this. But like we need some kind of civic test for voting, you know, like maybe you got it. And I'm like, that's a real conversation. I like Vivek when you sit down with him he, he and he does these podcasts. That's why I like him the best. But these these when he does the actual sit down conversations, you get real authenticity. You actually get a dude who is telling you what he thinks. I love it. When you get the debate, Vivek, plastic, scripted, because that's the performance. And I'd just be up there. I'd be like this and I'd just not say anything. And then I would just only cut in to insult these people. I'd be like Nikki Haley's like, you want kids on TikTok? TikTok is China. I'd be like, Nikki. Nikki, he said the opposite of that. Shut your stupid mouth. Nobody cares to hear your regurgitated talking points that you're lying, inverting what was said. How about the last time when she's like, Vladimir Putin said he's going to take pulling. No, he didn't. I just I can't stand any of this stuff, bro. Come out. Tell me, you know what I want to see? I want to see Ronda Sanders be like, thank you all for coming to this debate. Thank you for uh, all of you for giving me a chance Donald Trump is going to win the nomination. I think it's fair. Everybody gets it. But hey, let's take this opportunity to build the profiles of some potential contenders for 2028, maybe potential VPs. We what we need in the Republican Party is fresh blood. We need to build the profile of individuals who will come after Donald Trump. And this is an opportunity to do that. The Democrats have no rising stars. So right now we need an, we, we need this opportunity before all of you to the millions of viewers to show you who we are and take this chance in this election cycle to say, hey, next time around, remember, we're here. We have charisma. We have personality. We got X factor. We're going to bring that to you. But let's not let's not kid ourselves. Ain't nobody going to be nominating anybody but Donald Trump. So I tell you this, me, if I'm on, I'm on stage, I'm voting Trump, baby. That's what I'm doing. I don't know. Whatever, man. Uh, I, I think everybody agrees it's plastic garbage, blah, 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 blah. And it's funny because uh, they, they pander to the ignorance, uh, the ignorances of the average voter. I don't know. That's why I said Vivek is too smart because uh, he just turned it down a little bit. But at least he's not doing that. Right. At least Vivek is saying like X, Y and Z. You know, it polarized a little bit last time. Some people didn't like him. Some people did. Don't care. If we if we continue to live in this world where it's like, we have to be third grade reading level candidates. And it just, nah, I'm not interested in any of that. So anyway, look, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up there. Got a lot of stuff to talk about today, but uh, shout, shout out Donald Trump. He's the real winner. And everybody agrees. So uh, next segment will be coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out. Obviously, you know, whatever. I probably just preach into the choir and how I feel about these debates. But uh, I'll see you all at 1 p.m. Thanks for hanging out.
With the upsurge of flash mob violence and store thefts, we are seeing CVS, Target, Walgreens, etc. close their stores down in San Francisco. It's particularly bad. The latest news is that Target is closing three Portland stores, citing theft and organized crime. In response to this, Jimmy Dore, I'm a fan. Jimmy Dore asks, the CEO of Target made $17 million last year. Weird that they just don't hire security guards in those three stores instead of closing them, isn't it? Something is not right here. Target can't afford security guards, really? Now, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Dore. Uh, he's allowed to have opinions that I disagree with, and he's allowed to not know things, as there are many things I do not know as well. But I thought this would be a good opportunity to break down for you security costs, the costs of doing business, and why these policies that we often see from the left fail. In Portland, Nike shut down its flagship store. Many people came out and said this would hurt the black community. The problem is with these flash mobs, with what we saw in Philadelphia last night, you cannot operate your businesses this way. And what's going to happen is that there will be an economic downturn. Now, all of these policies combined, you end up with AOC defending non-citizens coming to New York, getting tax dollars, special protected status and work visas, undermining the already scarce job market. Consider this. As more non-citizens come in and more Democrats defend the idea, as much as there are people like Eric Adams saying it's a, it's a catastrophe, it's a disaster, the typical left position is they're asylum seekers. Okay, well, they're not all bad people. Okay, I appreciate they want to come here for, for a better life. But when we have rampant crime, businesses shutting down, jobs disappearing, we are going to have an issue if there's more people who need jobs. It's not going to help the economy. It's going to hurt it. There's a, a great quote from Jacques Fresco, if you're familiar with the zeitgeist and uh, that whole thing. He, he pointed out that when he was younger, he rem remembers the Great Depression. There was a bread line, people waiting for food, or I'm sorry, it was the unemployment line. I think it was unemployment line, people trying to get paychecks and they weren't working. And across the street was a factory that was closed down. And it's like, why can't we get these workers in this factory? It's an interesting conundrum. It really is. Trade is a machine. The economy is a machine. It's not so simple to say, bring in more people and the economy will do well. No, actually. Integration into the economy to build the economic machine is what we need. So let me break it down for you, Jimmy Dore. Uh, he says, why can't they hire more security work? Well, here's the story. Target is closing three Portland stores, citing theft and organized retail crime. Next month, Target will close their stores on Southwest Morrison, Southeast Powell and Northeast Halsey. The retailer is also closing six other stores in Seattle, San Francisco, Oakland and New York City. We take the decision to close these stores very seriously and only do so after taking meaningful steps to invest in the guest experience and improve business performance. The retailer says they can't continue to operate the stores efficiently due to theft and organized retail crime that is threatening the safety of our team and guests and contributing to unsustainable business performance. First, someone responded, uh, this is Stu Mama, responded to Jimmy Dore with a quote from their earnings call, effectively answering Jimmy's question in the immediate, saying, uh, Target said, we cannot continue operating these stores because theft and organized retail crime are threatening the safety of our team and guests and contributing to unsustainable business performance. We know that our stores serve an important role in their communities, but we can only be successful if the working and shopping environment is safe for all. Before making this decision, we invested heavily in strategies to prevent and stop theft and organized retail crime in our stores. 
such as adding more security team members, using third party guard services and implementing theft deterrent tools across our business. Despite our efforts, unfortunately, we continue to face fundamental challenges to operating these stores safely and successfully. Now, Jimmy's point is that the CEO got $17 million. You're going to shut these stores down. People need these jobs and these and this, these supplies because of crime. How about whatever it costs to operate these stores? How about we take from that $17 million to the CEO? Okay, the first problem. And, you know, let's be real. If you want a good CEO, someone who's going to work at the highest level and manage a massive chain of around 2,000 stores, a lot of work. And you need the best of the best, the cream of the crap, the highest end of the bell curve. You got to pay competitively. So the 17 million going to this guy may be a lot of money. But if you say, we're going to pay you less to cover the cost of crime, hey, you're the CEO, right? What happens if he quits? If you lose this CEO, will you be able to find someone who can run this business at this high of a level for less money? The reality is, no, you can't. And I know it's an answer left, leftists do not like to hear. But let me break it down for you. Let's say, uh, I'll tell you our experiences here at TimCast. We want a video editor. We want a music producer, right? We'll go to people and say, hey, man, you're doing really great work. We really like what you're doing. Would you like to come and work here? And they say, no, I'm talented and successful and I can make money on my own. And we go, okay, we have to pay you more than you make. That's right. So this happens to me, right? Companies come to me and say, hey, Tim, we want to sign a deal. We want to do something with TimCast. And I say, if I'm already making money, you're going to have to pay me more. And then it's like, wow, can we monetize the work you do beyond what you're already doing it? Some say they they think they can, but nobody really wants to pay that much. So you can't hire me. Sorry. A CEO who's capable of running 2000 stores, yet they're going to want a lot of money. And if you don't pay them what they want, they'll go to any other business. I know it's an answer that leftists don't like. I'll say it again, but it's just the preliminary. Let's break down the actual math here so we can help you guys out. We have here, this is corporate.target.com, the 2020 earnings. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Hold on. Jimmy, the CEO made 17 million. Take a look at this. Total revenue for 2022 grew by 3 billion to 109 billion dollars. Hold on a minute. You're saying that Target made 109 billion dollars and why don't they just take from that to pay the cost of security to maintain these stores, right? Ah, surface level answer. You see, this is often what we'll see from leftists. They'll say, Target made $109 billion. Why don't they, ju- they, they could afford security? Hold on there a minute. I've got more data for you. There are 1,948 Target stores in the United States and Canada, or actually formerly Target Canada, I guess. So I think it I think it does as of 2023, 1,948 stores. Let's include Canada. It's fine. Here's Target's profit margins as of January 2023. Actually, is this July 2023? Okay, so the latest numbers is fantastic. Revenue for as of July was 24.77 billion, down 4.85 percent year over year. Wow, that's actually not good. Last year they were up; they were very happy. Their net income so far is 835 million. Okay. Seeming to be uh, up 356%. That's really interesting. Is that, what's, what, what is that? Net income versus revenue? Here's the issue. The net profit margin, while up substantially, that's good news for Target, is 3.37%. Of that $109 billion Target brings in, only 3% of that is profit. Okay, now hold on. 3%. You're still saying, like, what is that? 
We're talking about, uh, uh, what is it, $300 million? Right? That's that's a good amount of money. $300 million. Look at net change in cash, 296. Sounds about right. So uh, what do we got? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm way off on this. It's uh, 3%. So it's $3 billion. Sorry. Yeah, $300 million. No, $3 billion. I was off by an order of magnitude. That's a lot of money. $3 billion. Okay. Let's do some quick math. The uh, total revenue of last year was $109 billion. So let's uh, type that into here. 109. And we've got million, 100,000, billion dollars. Okay. Let me, uh, you know, I, I don't like doing this without, uh, without commas. So we'll do it just this way. Nine. Look at that. 109 million. $109 billion. And we'll uh, plug that in here. Okay. I guess it doesn't matter. They don't do commas anyway. All right. And we're going to divide that by uh, 1,948 stores, 1,948 stores, okay? Which gives us, whoo, is that, what are we looking at here? We're looking at $5 million per store? Hot dog. Wow. What, what, is, that, is that really right? Five, $5 million per, $5.5 million per store. Ah, that's revenue. Their profit margin is 3.37. So let's take this number and do 3.37% of that. And uh, let's see what we get. Okay. Oh, wow. Huh. That can't be right. Seriously? It's 188,567. That's it. That's their profit margin off of these stores. Hmm. So the stores pay the salaries of all of these people, the managers, the products, the people, and their margin is 3%. Sounds like it doesn't make sense, right? But if you take this and uh, you look at their general profit, hundreds of millions of dollars, the CEO gets 17 million. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you my rough assessment. So this is what I responded to Jimmy with. I said, he says they can't hire security. Okay. The store would need two guards in front, two guards in back, two roaming and two surveillance. And that is an oversimplification. You're probably also going to need a manager, someone to oversee the security staff. Now, there's two ways you can go about doing this. You can hire a security company, which takes care of the bulk, care of the bulk cost. You'll pay a little bit of a premium or you can do it all in-house. The average wage of security guards is about $25 per hour. Depending on the area, if you look at uh, Oregon, where this was, they say 18. But that doesn't take into consideration hierarchy and managerial staff, which goes upwards of $30 an hour. Not to mention, if you're going third party, now you're looking at people who are making six figures or more. So if we average it out, it actually comes out to about 24 point some odd, I would say $25 an hour. Three shifts, 24, 24 guards per day. You are not just having your eight guards all at working 24 hours. Mm -mm. And some of these stores may be 24 hours. I'm not so sure about Target, but you have to have night shift. Night shift, that's the point. The flash mobs we saw in Philly happened late at night. Some, some of these businesses had their shutters down. So we're talking about varying degrees. So I'm doing a total generality here. With insurance and employment tax, because you're going to pay about 7.5% per employee. Okay, so how people understand this. If you hire someone at, you know, 100 bucks an hour, you pay them 100 bucks an hour, and then you will pay the federal government an additional uh, $7.50. Employment tax, employment tax, and then the employee covers half. It's fifteen or something like that. So we're looking at if we if you have to have insurance, and uh, if you if you include employment tax and insurance, it's about 
the, the hard cost of wages comes out to an average of $4,800 per day. But with insurance and employment tax, it's, it's going to be closer to six. So between the three stores, we're looking at about $6.5 million per year. Oh, wow, wow. Their profit margin's only 3%. They're only making about $188,000 per store on this loose math that I'm doing, which I have to assume is wrong. I thought it was like a million dollars per year, which made more sense, but maybe my math is wrong. My point is this. Security is insanely expensive. And this idea that to maintain three stores, the CEO of Target would cut his pay down to $11 million maybe makes sense on the surface. Maybe you'd say, CEO, please make that sacrifice. The realistic problem is the CEO is going to say, I'm not going to do it. And you can argue he's a bad person. But the reality is he's going to have any other rival company that's looking to hire a CEO compete and say, we'll pay you more. He'll say, I'll take that, guys. I can't deal with this. Let's say, however, that this CEO was like, no, I will not shut down these stores. I will take a 35% pay cut if it means saving the economy of these local areas. Okay, here's the other component to this you need to consider. My numbers are all rough, total, rough, absolute rough estimates. They're, they're, they're probably uh, completely wrong. And uh, I really do think that number was wrong. I just want to be sure because I did the math earlier. I don't think it's, uh, man, is that really, is that, is that right? Did I do the math wrong? 100, $109 billion divided by 2,000. I mean, yeah, let's just, let's just do a quick rough to make sure we're getting it right. Let's just say 5.5 million. And we'll multiply that by 1948 and see if we, uh, I mean, yeah, you know, you're, you're looking at, uh, oh, no, 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 hold on, hold on. This is an order of magnitude off. You see, you see, this is the problem here. How did I, how did I get that one wrong? That was an, or, it's, it's a million. So it's 109 billion, one, two, three, uh, what do we got? 109,000 million billion. I think I missed a zero is what happened. Did I miss a zero? You see, all you, all you guys watching this were like, Tim, you missed a zero. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, 109. Uh, I, I hate doing this out commas because you got to count all these zeros. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And we'll divide that by one, nine, four, eight. Okay, right. So uh, right, 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 right. Yes, yes, it's 55. So it's about 1.8 million per store. See, I, I knew I got the math wrong because I've done all this before I started. Anyway, math now correct, mid-segment. So for those that were already commenting saying, Tim, no, you screwed up. Uh, I screwed up a lot when I was doing this math. And I'm probably still screwing up. Don't get me wrong. Uh, so, and then we're looking at 3% of this, which comes out to about 1.8 million. Adding the security costs is going to be about 2 million per store. So it doesn't work. But anyway, you get my point. I, I, I noticed that 188 was wrong. I was like, there's no way the stores are operating that low, but 1.8 million in profit per store makes a lot of sense. It, it, it seems like the right number. And so, uh, that profit goes to, uh, uh, rainy day funds. It's going to go to investments. It's going to go to, uh, uh, the profit will be used for things like R&D. It's not just, man, people really got to understand. It's not just about the uh, uh, hard cost of running the business. It's about planning ahead. So to be fair, though, all these costs are probably baked into. So let's just say 1.8 million per store. Security, seriously, it's going to cost you like 2 million bucks. Now on top of that, security guard catches someone shoplifting. You got a lawsuit. Yes, your insurance will cover a good portion of it, but you're going to be consulting lawyers. What's your legal costs here? Now you've got, outside of this, the hard fact. Our employees just got punched in the face. There's no amount of money. There's no, nothing you can do. Security guard can't be there to make sure that doesn't happen. 
They can protect the store to a certain degree, but you can't stop at all. So even with security guards, you will still have shrinkage. You will still have violence. And let's say you have eight security guards and a flash mob happens. You can't stop them. So what do you do? You can't cover this. Yeah, I did all the math before I started because I had it all laid out. And then I got the ma- I missed a zero. And I was like, wait, what? That's not what I, that's not right. But uh, even even then, like all my math is just super, super general. The reality is that Target did try security measures. Portland is effed. That's it. Have a nice day. So, Jimmy, uh, I, I like Jimmy Dore. He's, he's an awesome dude. I, I, re- I mean that sincerely. I am not saying this to, to do some gotcha. I think his question is absolutely warranted. When you do the basic cost for security, it looks like six million bucks could have saved these stores, seven million bucks. But it's not so simple. I'd imagine the true costs are going to be upwards of 10 to 20 million dollars. CEO just can't cut it. And then you're also trying to be competitive and get the best of the best. Now, we can argue that the CEO is making mistakes, but I think the reality is these flash mobs show people are at risk. It, it, it really is just that if an employee is at risk of being beaten, you're just like, dude, we can't do this. I, I, I cannot. And this is actually a consideration for us, too. Somebody wants to come and report for Tibcast, and I say, OK, reporting is too dangerous. We can't afford it. End of story. Have a nice day. If someone goes out to a conflict, this, this is why a lot of people want to do conflict reporting. They will not let you do it. When I started advice, they asked me, uh, have you traveled internationally? Yep. And they're like, you did. OK. Have you ever covered conflict? Yes, sir. Have you ever uh, dealt with police legal? Yes, you bet. And they're like, OK. All right, we're good. There are other employees at Vice who got out of college, got hired by Vice, and they didn't understand why Vice wouldn't let them go cover these stories. One, one guy's like, dude, I've been here for two years. I've been filming everything. They barely let me leave Brooklyn. And I'm like, you know, you think it's because they hate you. They don't. It's because if they send you to Turkey and you get shot in the face with a can of tear gas and it fractures your skull or something like this, there's going to be a lawsuit. Yeah, sure. You assume the risks, all that stuff. But you're an employee. And in this lawsuit, your lawyer is going to say they knew my client had no experience and they sent him into this war zone. Yeah. Look, you want to skate at a skate park? They make you sign a waiver. And that seems silly. You chose to skateboard. You get hurt. It's your fault. It's like any other sport. Doesn't matter. People sue skate parks. They're like, I I had no idea I could fall and get hurt skating. It's really dumb. So when it comes to an employee working at one of these stores, they're going to say we cannot put our employees at risk knowingly because we will be sued into oblivion. And they wonder why it's not being properly dealt with. The issue is these cities are not safe and targets thinking total cost of security, two million bucks per store. Can't do it. And two million is a light number because they might be saying, dude, eight guards is not enough. They've tried third party guard services, which you pay a premium because they handle it all for you and just show up. Now it's more expensive and you're, you're hoping the, the liability would be on them. They're, they're insured. Doesn't matter. It doesn't work that way. You hire a third party security company. It's just going to increase your costs. You're better doing everything internally, but then you do it internally. Now you have more liability. Target says we need to send more employees over to this store. And then that that employee gets punched in the gut, beaten like we saw that we see the video of the store clerk getting beaten. 
And this is what bothers me. I'm like, what am I supposed to feel here? And they're like, don't you feel sympathy for these people? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, they voted for this. Now their businesses are collapsing. They can't maintain it. They can't afford it. Security is super expensive. We deal with it. I don't want to, I'm not going to uh, uh, expose anyone's uh, personal information, but let me just say high profile companies that I've worked with in the tech sector and stuff like that, where they've got like famous personalities, they say that their biggest cost security. For real. It sucks, but it's expensive to have a security guard. You were asking someone to risk their life to protect you. They cost money. Yep. So this is where we're at right now with the failures of our modern system. It just doesn't work. So sorry, Target's shutting down, and that means bad news for your local economy. Maybe the GOP debate could have talked about this or something. They could have said maybe if we, you know, they they did talk about police and law enforcement, but man, they really don't get it. Yeah, police are needed, but we need local police departments. We don't need, you know, in in New York City, it's it's a disaster. Crime runs rampant, but the police arrest the locals in Staten Island for opposing non-citizens being put in their homes. System's completely broken. Anarcho-tyranny. And it can't be sustained and it can't be maintained. Our stores will shut down. People will revolt. People will get hungry. This is instability. It starts with policy. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4, uh, I'm sorry, 6 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then. The impeachment of Joe Biden has begun. Okay, okay. It's an impeachment probe first. And there are some GOP witnesses saying there is not yet enough evidence to actually impeach Joe Biden. I believe those witnesses are wrong. I think all of this is playing politics. I think when you look at the evidence released by the GOP so far, there's more than enough for an impeachment. The problem I have with these proceedings is that they pretend impeachment is conviction. This has been this has been true for every impeachment in my lifetime, which is, I guess, three, right? Everybody thinks that if a president is impeached, he's gone. No, impeachment means indictment, and you can indict a ham sandwich. The purpose of the inquiry right now to Joe Biden is to determine if what we know about what he was doing reaches the level of high crimes and misdemeanors against this country. I believe it does. And I think the Burisma scandal breaks down more than a preponderance of evidence that Joe Biden intervened in foreign affairs for the benefit of his son. That's not a conviction. It's an indictment. The Senate can then hear the evidence and determine whether or not they want to remove Joe Biden. Now, maybe this is one way they get rid of Joe Biden, because there's a lot of speculation that Joe Biden drops out. Yo, Democrats don't want him. And outside of the impeachment, I love this because we got all the stories for you, right? Aside from the fact that the media, I love this one. Republicans launch Biden impeachment probe with no new evidence. Ah, I love it. Why would they launch the investigation into Biden if they already have the evidence? Jeez. The point is, there is evidence. Enough to where they've said, okay, hold on. We're going to investigate this and see where this goes. And then do New York Daily News is like, no new evidence. Well, that's the point of the probe, dude. It's probing Joe Biden's business affairs and his career to determine if there's new evidence to be found. Ridiculous. But we actually have, um, I think maybe it's, uh, here we go, from the Daily Mail. Biden 80 should, quote, ride off into the sunset, despairing Democrat insiders call for president to retire or allow a wide open primary in 2024 with him one trip away from disaster. So look, Republicans are trying 
to get rid of Joe Biden. Democrats are also trying to get rid of Joe Biden. I have to imagine that uh, at some point they're going to get rid of Joe Biden. I mean, I look, I don't see how he wins. He's trailing in the polls. Trump is winning. And you have Democrats and Republicans saying, out, you got to go. Here's a story from the Daily News. Now, I, I do want to read this because I think the media take is very interesting, but we have this from oversight.house.gov, the Biden's influence peddling timeline. Oh, yeah. I brought the receipts. Don't, don't get me wrong. The receipts came from the GOP, but I'll read what they said. Statements of fact. Here's the first story. The Daily News says Republicans were set to launch their impeachment inquiry of President Biden Thursday when a congressional hearing with a congressional hearing that is expected to lay out questions about his behavior, but no evidence of wrongdoing. I think it's just absolutely hilarious how they lie every time. Sorry, man. I'm sick of the lies. I am just so sick of these scumbags. Who wrote this? Dave Goldener, a piece of trash scumbag. I, I despise these people. The Republicans released evidence. Look at this. A timeline. They even have fancy graphics. Fancy graphics. They put a lot of work into this, uh, this timeline. Ukraine. Oh, boy. Yeah, we'll go through it. We'll go through it. No evidence. No evidence of wrongdoing. Are you kidding? There's an insane amount of evidence of wrongdoing. He's not been convicted. That's the difference. Three GOP-led House committees plan to use the high stakes hearing to lay out legal issues they believe are raised by their long running probes into alleged ties to his son Hunter's business dealings. The debut hearing won't feature any witnesses with information about Biden or his son's tangled business deals. Instead, it will feature outside experts in tax law, criminal investigations and constitutional law. Sounds a lot less compelling, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what they're doing. The Republicans are slow rolling this. They want to draw this whole thing out as long as possible so that it extends into next year. They want this to hurt Joe Biden in the uh, 2024 election. Here's what the uh, oversight committee has published. And yes, lots of evidence. I'm really excited for the timeline. They write since taking. I wonder if I can. If, if can we, OK, there we go. There we go. We can structure it a little bit better. Zoom in. Since taking the gavel in January, the Committee on Oversight and Accountability has accelerated its investigation of the Biden family's domestic and international business practices to determine whether the Biden family has been targeted by foreign actors. President Biden is compromised and our national security is threatened. Records obtained through the committee's subpoenas to date reveal that the Bidens and their associates have received over $20 million in payments from foreign entities. Right there, that in and of itself is called evidence. Does it mean you committed a crime? No. Does it mean you are proven guilty? No. Does it, does it prove any criminal activity at all? No. Evidence is not proof. I made this point before uh, because there's a lot of people who, who don't quite understand it. Typically, I, I'd assume these are like Democrats and there's no evidence. OK, let's let's tell you. Uh, here's a story. There is a uh, grocery store, a small a small uh, corner store. Let's call it a bodega like they do in New York. And uh, one day the store clerk is found <laughs> murdered and there's shell casings for a 22 long rifle uh, rounds found scattered about. And then they sure enough find. Yes, the store clerk was killed by several shots from a 22 LR. Now, what could this mean? Long rifle could also be uh, used in handguns, could be used in rifles. And so they have a general idea. Down the street, there's a man who is known to be quarreling with this store clerk. And so they go and ask him questions. And sure enough, what do they find? On the back wall in his home, clearly visible at the front door, is a Ruger 10-22. Oh, my stars and garters. A guy who hated the clerk. He had motive. He had opportunity. He has the weapon. All of this is 
evidence. It is. Well, maybe not opportunity. I'm reaching. But let's just say he has motive and a similar weapon. These things don't prove anything, but they are evidence. Evidence enough to where they can say this man was known to be quarreling based on witness testimony with the store clerk previous, uh, you know, a day earlier. And he does have a weapon clearly visible that takes 1022. We believe this is a sufficient probable cause, meaning there is indication, information and, and, and physical objects which point to him as the killer. So what do they do? They say, we want you to answer some questions. You're a person of, uh, of interest. You're a suspect. They get a warrant for the weapon. They do testing on it. They bring this man in for questioning. He brings in his lawyer. Uh-oh. While they did have initial evidence that pointed to this man, turns out the guy actually has not only receipts from out of town on the day of the murder, not only that, but he has photographs with him and his buddies. The weapon was with him as they went and, I don't know, were hunting small game or something. And he says, look, guys, I may have been fighting with a guy, but I didn't. It wasn't that serious. I was arguing over returning a, a spoiled milk. I, I have no real interest in the guy whatsoever. And here's a photo of me and all my friends. Here's me camping. I was not here. And they say, OK, well, initially people did think that shell casings found near his home and a similar weapon proved or it was providing evidence. The evidence ultimately led nowhere, did not prove it. Now, I, 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 that's, that's, that's my general understanding. Evidence does not prove anything. Why? There are numerous criminal trials where the prosecutions present evidence to the jury and the person gets acquitted, which means evidence is not proof. With the evidence we have against Joe Biden, we are now going to build a case to determine if it can prove beyond a reasonable doubt criminal activity. Okay, now that I've given you a basic uh, and needless for most of you uh, lesson in the general ideas, let's jump to the timeline. This is so cool. Thank you, Republicans, for making this neat little graphic. 2009, Obama and Biden administration begins. Oh, there's a little exclamation point, too. Oh, that's so important. 2013, China BHR, November 1st. Hunter Biden, business associate and, uh, and Chinese investors agree to create Bohai Harvest RST Equity Investment Fund Management Co. LTD. <laughs> that's a mouthful. An investment fund controlled by the Bank of China called BHR, uh, the company BHR, to focus on mergers and acquisitions and investment and in reforms of state owned enterprise. December 4th, here's a photo of a Chinese businessman. Vice President Biden travels with Hunter Biden Air Force 2 to China and meets CEO of BHR, Jonathan Lee. Shortly thereafter, BHR's licenses were approved and Hunter Biden was a board member. Thanks for the free ride, Joe. Done. We're done. We're done. That right there is enough. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. What was Joe Biden doing flying us on an Air Force Two for a private equity deal in China? That right there, I believe, is enough to open an investigation. OK, well, that's what the Republican Republicans are doing. Shall we shall we continue? You mean there's more? 2014, Kazakhstan. Hunter Biden met Kazakhstani oligarch Kenneth Rakashev at the Hay Adams Hotel in Washington, D.C. An email correspondence with the Devon Archer surrounding the meeting. Rakashev requested Secretary of State John Kerry visit Kazakhstan. Archer replied, if we have some business started as planned, I will ensure it's planned soonest. Rekashev is a Kazakhstani oligarch and millionaire and was a director at Kazakhstan's state-owned oil company, K. Mune Gas. Rekashev maintained close ties to Karim Masimov, who became prime minister on April 2nd, 2014. Next, Russia. Russian oligarch Yelena Baterina, the wealthiest woman in Russia and then married to former mayor of Moscow, wired the Rosemont Seneca Thornton bank account $3.5 million. Rosemont Seneca Thornton's beneficiary was Rosemont Seneca Partners, of which Hunter Biden was the chairman. Interesting. March 11th, 2014, Russian oligarch payment to Hunter Biden and Devin Archer, as outlined right here. Rosemont Seneca Thornton transferred $2.75 million 
to a Rosemont Seneca Bohai bank account. Also on March 11, 2014, a $750,000 of the original wire uh, from Batterina was sent to Devin Archer from Rosemont Seneca Thornton. Rosemont Seneca Bohai was an entity used by both Hunter Biden and Devin Archer. In his testimony to the committee, Archer confirmed that he and Hunter Biden were 50-50 owners in Rosemont Seneca Bohai. Rosemont Seneca Bohai was opened in Delaware on February 13th, 2014, the day before the $3.5 million wire from Yelena Bad Arena. The bank records can be found here in third bank records memo. Uh-oh, hard documents, bank proof. Now, of course, what they're saying is, no, 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 hold on. Hunter Biden's receiving all this money. As you may be forgetting right now, my Democrat friends, we've already started with Joe Biden flew his son to meet with these people in China. OK, the premise is Hunter Biden was flown by Vice President Joe Biden Air Force Two to China, who and he then met with his Chinese business partners. He then received licenses. Joe Biden was involved. So you mean to tell me, Hunter Biden's like, hey, dad, can I fly with you to China? Oh, uh, yeah, sure thing, son. What are you going to China for? Don't worry about it. Sure thing, please. And, and do they have the photo? Like, here's a photo of uh, Hunter Biden with business associates and Joe Biden. Spare me. All right, what's next? What's next? Russia and Kresna and Ukraine. Oh, I love this one. Burisma, a Ukrainian energy company appoints Biden business associates to their board of directors. Kazakhstan. Oh, man, hard records. Kenneth Rakeshev's Singaporean company wires $142,000 through his Latvian company to a Rosemont entity. The details can be found in a third bank records memorandum. Hey, look, more hard document proof. This is proof that the money was wired, not proof of criminal activity. You see my point? All right, what do we got? In Ukraine, Joe Biden warns of a cancer of corruption. Kazakhstan again. Let's stick to Ukraine. May 12th, 2014, Burisma announces Hunter Biden joins his board of directors. Okay, you got a bunch of other stuff. BHR invests $1.7 billion in CCP-linked petroleum and chemical company. Hunter Biden Associates invest $484,000 into BHR. Well connected. Let's, uh, let's carry on. There, there's, there's a lot here, to be completely honest. I'm, I'm skipping over Romania and China. Ukraine, November 2nd, 2015. Vadim Pozharsky suggests high-level U.S.-level officials Come to Ukraine and talk with Prosecutor General Viktor Shokin and President Petro Poroshenko about Mykola Zlachevsky's investigations. Prosecutor General Shokin was investigating Burisma and Burisma's owner Zlachevsky for fraud. Prosecutor General Shokin is the Ukrainian government official Vice President Biden demanded Poroshenko fire. Oof. Now, I do think they should have included what we know is that Devin Archer testified they, they, that Burisma needed help from D.C. because of the investigations into Burisma. Let's, uh, let's jump to... Uh, where do we get the, uh, here we go. November 11th, Ukraine, Amos Hochstein meets with Vice President Biden in the West Wing. November 12th, Amos calls Hunter Biden. Very interesting. Hunter Biden meets with an ambassador to Romania. November 13th, here we go, an archive of a Biden tweet. VP touchdown in Ukraine last night, read his initial notes from the road. What's he doing in, uh, what's he doing there? Huh? What's he doing there? Vadim Pajarsky emails Hunter Biden confirmation that the vice president will be traveling to Ukraine. Ooh, how about that? December 4th, 2015, Michael Zlachevsky and Vadim Pajarsky complain about the constant government pressures and urge Hunter Biden to call the vice president of the United States, Joe Biden. Devin Archer testified that Hunter Biden, Zlachevsky and Pajarsky called D.C. Devin Archer provided this information during his transcribed interview. How about that? We'll skip down to Ukraine. Ah, here's a video. Vice President Biden arrives in Ukraine where he demands Prosecutor General Shokin be fired if Ukraine wants a billion dollars in international monetary fund loans. Well, how about that? Vice President Biden departs Ukraine and gets a commitment from President Poroshenko that Shokin, Prosecutor General, will be fired. 
Vice President hosts a holiday party at the vice presidential residence, which Amos Hochstein and Hunter Biden both attend. And again, I'm skipping over all this other stuff. I'm focusing on Ukraine. Vice President Biden meets with President Poroshenko in Switzerland at the World Economic Forum, where Biden reinforces the linkage between the loan guarantee and the necessary reforms. Mykola Zachevsky gives Hunter Biden unspecified extravagant birthday gifts on February 4th, 2016. Vice President Biden and President Poroshenko conduct a call. Ukraine. President Poroshenko asks Prosecutor General Shokin to resign. This is a few months later. Vice President Biden calls Poroshenko to thank him for calling on the resignation. Poroshenko says he received the letter of resignation. I mean, this is just it's laid out right in front of you. Ukrainian parliament approves Poroshenko's firing of prosecutor general. And uh, oh, man, there's so much more. It's so incredible. Ultimately, what ends up happening, and I don't know if they include this in their timeline, which they should, is that Zolchevsky fled the country during the investigations and he returned once the investigator was removed. Now, there's a whole bunch of China links here. I mean, I got to be honest with you guys. If I was going to read through all of the evidence, I just can't do it. This is going to be like a two hour breakdown. I was skipping over a bunch of the other evidence to just focus on Ukraine. Woo. I know a lot lot of you probably saying like, okay, dude, boring. We get it. But isn't it funny that we have this? Holy crap. Is it long? I cannot read through all of this stuff. It goes into the it's 2019. There's more 2020. Here we go. More Ukraine stuff. Now we've got 2023 bank records, family dealings, Biden lying, all of this stuff. Heavens. There's too much for me to read, man. My point is this. At this point, there's so much evidence. It's overwhelming. Now, to be fair, they say that uh, there's not enough evidence. There are many Republicans. Do we we actually have this one pulled up? Anxiety rips through a Democrat. I don't know. There's a couple. I think Jonathan Turley, as well as another um, expert, said there's not enough to, uh, to actually impeach. Okay, GOP witness Jonathan Turley, who defended Trump, said the evidence against Joe Biden has not yet amounted to an impeachable offense. Okay, but hold on. Are you saying uh, impeachment, impeachable offense in the conviction sense? Right. That's the important question. They would have mentioned top oversight Democrat Jamie Raskin made a motion to subpoena Rudy Giuliani and Lev Lev Parnas. I think Jamie Raskin's evil. Make sure that's clear. The dude, dude works like 20 minutes from us. Several of our employees are his constituents. And I think he's an evil man. Uh, I, I, I really do, man. I think this guy is malicious. I think he knows he's lying. He, uh, or it's the, it's a combination of malice as well as the banality of evil. But the reason is it's fairly personal. He ran a video of me reporting the news and commenting on it and claimed it was advocacy for January 6th. These people are disgusting. It's just, it's what they do. Many of these activists activists claim that I pushed the fraud narrative. And it's like, dude, I got ragged on relentlessly by Trump supporters for rejecting the fraud narrative, to which I still do. The narrative about Trump's defeat has more to do with Democrats changing the rules. That's why Texas sued Pennsylvania. All that stuff is overt and plainly visible. Republicans in Pennsylvania agree with Democrats on changing voting rules. They didn't want Trump in. But I digress. This is what they do. Now Raskin is deflecting. Look, the evidence is so overwhelming against Joe Biden. I can't even read through all of it. What am I supposed to do? There's so much evidence. Does it lead to the point of proof? I believe I believe there's more than enough evidence. If you read through it, that you could prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Joe Biden has committed high crimes and misdemeanors against this country. In which case he should be convicted and removed. 
Now, that requires a trial, which I don't think will ever convict Joe Biden because we're in a banana republic. I mean, it's probably unfair to say banana republic because like we are the ones who did it. But uh, this, this country is is a shell. Seriously. We were swatted 15 times. Where's our justice? We, we know we're, we're pretty confident we know who did it. We told law enforcement. We said, here, 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 here. Look, 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 look. And they were like, eh, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Why? Because it's all hyperpartisan hyperpolarization. You get these crazy stories where it's like the FBI is actually working tirelessly behind the scenes to solve crimes. No, they're not. The FBI, in my view, does solve some crimes because they need to justify their existence. But for the most part, I believe the FBI exists as a weapon of the establishment political order. They will investigate crimes against people that are a threat to them. That's it. They are a secret police force to uphold the regime. End of story. And I'm not saying Democrats. I'm saying Democrats and Republicans. That's why when we get swatted 15 times, they don't do anything. It's been uh, over a year. It's been almost two years. It's crazy, right? Almost two years. And uh, no contact, no information. Our security companies reached out and they just say nothing. So, OK, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit. Maybe they're working in secret. And it's going to take a long time, take years. Yeah, I doubt it. We know for the most part why the swattings stopped. And uh, and we've, we've relayed this information to law enforcement. We just get nothing. The local police have been very, very cool, but they just don't have the resources and they've tried to pursue these things. But it's just it's really hard to do. I don't believe. And we've also had other instances of identity theft and data theft and things like this. I won't say too much about. And the, the response was. A million dollars won't move the needle. A million dollars. That's crazy. No, I think the reality is when they hunt down some like little old lady over January 6, it ain't about the money, is it? It's not. And thus, what we have right now is a corruption in the system. Law enforcement being used as a weapon. Joe Biden should be impeached. Republicans should should impeach him. Right now, they're saying the evidence doesn't rise to that level. I think they're wrong. I think we have more than enough evidence to launch a, an impeachment and a criminal inquiry. Of course, you got to impeach him first. And of course, Democrats don't want Joe Biden either. So I got to say, between the Democrats saying Joe Biden's got to go and the Republicans trying to forcefully remove him through impeachment and conviction, I don't see how this guy stays. But hey, maybe I'm wrong. You know, there are a lot of people who think he'll be the nominee. Sure. Anyway, Check out the evidence for yourself. It's 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 there's too much. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. on the channel. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then. When the news broke that a young tech entrepreneur had been murdered in her own, in her own home, I covered the story. And of course, I uh, did a little investigation. And it turns out the woman who lost her life, she is woke. She is a progressive. She has posted about Black Lives Matter and other issues. And she's given interviews talking about the diversity of her workforce and things of this nature. This does not mean she's deserving of anything, but it does point out the problems that these cities face based on how their populations vote. We now know the man who is suspected of killing her had previously tortured a couple in their home. The police were aware of this. They knew that this man would kill again and rape. And he was released early. He was supposed to be in prison for 30 years. He was released in seven. Soft on crime policies. No one deserves to be a victim. And someone who's trying to work towards justice, you know, I can respect the sentiment. But unfortunately, 
if your failed ideas and your ignorance causes harm to other people, then I have to criticize you. Now, I can't speak for the couple that were tortured by this man, and it's serious, and we're going to get into it. But this woman who lost her life in her own home, she was found with a blunt force trauma. The police said afterwards, the suspect will kill and he will rape again, as if to imply this woman was beaten and raped by this deranged psychopath. Of course, she doesn't deserve it. But we must make sure we understand if you vote for soft on crime policies, you make these things more likely. Now, I think the fair point to be made here is uh, those who would sacrifice liberty for security deserve neither and will lose both. In which case, if this woman said, I do not believe our justice system is functioning and too many innocent people are in prison, so I will have I will see these people released even if it increases the risks to me. Totally acceptable. Totally fine. You know, I'll put it this way. I oppose death penalty. I think it's better that 10 guilty persons escape, 100 guilty persons escape than one innocent person suffer. And that means more crime, more psychopaths out on the street. It does. And guess what else I believe in? It's called the Second Amendment. This woman should have been armed. If you want to advocate that we err on the side of presumption of innocence, and this means criminals will eventually get set free, that 10 guilty persons would escape for every one innocent person we, we exonerate then you're going to need to protect yourself. And I accept the responsibility. I accept the risks to myself. The problem with the woke ideology in the neoliberal sense, not the leftist, leftists like guns. This woman should have been armed. And you need to understand that. Uh, But again, this shouldn't have happened to her at all. She shouldn't need to be armed, but the world is the world. No law will change the fact that there are deranged psychopaths. I'm now going to read for you about the failings of the Baltimore police and how this woman ultimately lost her life. An update to the story I covered a few days ago. The Baltimore banner says, suspect Jason Billingsley apprehended by U.S. Marshals in killing of Baltimore Tech CEO. This story is shocking and disturbing. I will avoid going into very specific details, but will give you the general understanding of this man's alleged crimes. Jason Billingsley, the registered sex offender being sought in the killing of Baltimore tech entrepreneur Pava LaPere, as well as an earlier rape and arson, was taken into custody after 11 p.m. at a train station in Bowie, U.S. I'm sorry, in Bowie, U.S. Marshals confirmed. The arrest brings to a close an unsettling few days as new and disturbing details continue to emerge about Billingsley, 32, a convicted felon who was released October 5th, 2022, after serving seven years in prison. LaPere, An admired leader known as a rising star in her field was found on the roof of her Mount Vernon apartment building late Monday morning. She had been reported missing earlier that day. Her body was partially clothed, clothed with signs of blunt force trauma. Authorities do not believe LaPere knew the suspected attacker. That is to say, she was likely beaten to death and raped by a known sex offender. And where it gets crazy, the police knew he was out there. They withheld the details from the public. I don't know what to tell you, man. Quote, this individual will kill and he will rape. Acting police commissioner Richard Worley said late Tuesday, he will do anything he can to cause harm. Please be aware of your surroundings. Now, the sad thing is, after this murder happened, the police immediately knew the suspect was. And then they came out and said, OK, everybody, listen, he's going to do it again. Are the people of Baltimore allowed to keep in bare arms? No, they're not. I mean, to a certain degree, you can argue, but no. Maryland is considered one of the evil seven, and it is very, very difficult to defend yourself. Now, the criminals will defend themselves. 
The people who break the law to have the guns, whether they're actually hurting others or not, they're all criminals, according to the state. All right. On September 19th, a man banged on the door of a rooming house in the 800 block of Edmondson Avenue in West Baltimore and identified himself as a maintenance worker. When no one opened up, he kicked in the front door, pointed a gun at two people inside, handcuffed and duct taped them, according to a source with knowledge of the investigation. Authorities believe Billingsley raped the woman and cut her neck. He doused her and the man with some liquid and then set them on fire. The couple survived and were hospitalized. Yes, the individuals had to receive surgery because of the damage to their skin from being set on fire. The fire spread to the rest of the building, causing alarm. A neighbor recalled everyone rushing outside when the fire broke out. The neighbor told the banner they saw two people put into an ambulance and the victims were saying they had been tortured. Latrice Johnson said her 26-year-old son, Jonte Gilmore, is being treated for burns to his chest, arms, and feet. He underwent surgery Wednesday to graft skin from his thighs to other parts of his body. Johnson said she learned this morning of September 19th that her son was attacked. She wishes police had done more after the attack to spread the word about Billingsley's identity. Had they done so, this woman, LaPere, may be alive, may be alive. But I imagine what likely happened is that this man knocked on her door, kicked it in, beat her, dragged her to the roof. And then the rest is in the story. I'm trying to avoid going into too, too serious of details, but she should have been armed. She should have had a gun. And this is what people need to understand. And I always encourage everybody, you know, follow your local laws. They're always different. Some states require crazy ones that your gun not be loaded. But understand this. Where are you right now? Uh, This is a question for everybody who illegally owns a firearm. Do you know where it is? Is it secure? Make sure no children can get to it. First, an obvious point. But that's a, a legal requirement in many states, even where it's legal. Make sure children cannot get access. Paramount. But the question I have for you is, if someone kicked your door in right now, will you be able to defend yourself and your family? This is what we, uh, we hear from a lot of people who are experts. You've got your gun in a gun safe. This is why they argue that you know, some of these laws are overly restrictive. Let's say your gun's in a gun safe. And I'm talking about like a handgun or something designed for something, you know, for home defense. Those are the, depending on what your preference is. Someone kicks in your door. How, how long will it take you to secure that weapon to be able to defend yourself? And that's why I hear from a lot of people. They say, if you have a weapon, holster it, keep it on your person when you're at home. Because let's say you're in the living room watching TV and you have your gun in your bedroom in a nightstand or in a small gun safe. And then you're in your living room and your front door is right there and the door gets kicked in with a dude pointing a gun at you. Wow. Good thing you have a gun, I guess. I think gun safety is the most important thing. Knowing how to use one, how to keep it secured, having the proper equipment, all of it matters. A gun in a gun safe means nothing if someone kicks your door in right now and you can't get it. But again, I'm not saying you should be walking around holding a weapon or anything like that. I'm just saying, understand. What will you do if someone kicks your door in with a weapon? Like kicks the door in and then brandishing a weapon like we saw with the people he tortured. Now, I I will say this. It's sad. This man's a suspect. Don't know if he's guilty or not. We'll see. He's just a suspect. And I don't have video enough proof that he did it. So these are important things to consider. But 
operating under the assumption that this is the guy who did it because he was in prison previously for similar things. And he had uh, been allegedly raped and tortured a couple. Police could have come out and said, everyone be on alert. There is a serial violent offender on the loose. Lock your doors. Don't answer your doors. Keep your phones nearby. Protect yourselves. But they don't care about you. You see, we've entered a period where because of the voting patterns of people like this woman, and I'm not saying this to blame her for what happened to her. That's not the case. I'm saying, but she votes in a pattern that results in things like this being more prevalent. That, re- that good law-abiding citizens can't defend themselves. If you vote to suspend people's right to keep and bear arms because you think common safe gun safety, you know that criminals aren't listening to you. They know this. The criminals are just like, I won't follow the law as it was. All that matters is the law-abiding citizens are restricted and can't protect themselves. And it leads to horror stories like this. There's your update, man. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you well then. On Twitter, a man who goes by the handle at datepsych, Alexander, discusses why men are being excluded from a brutal mating market by society. Actually, that's not what he says. He actually asks, why are so many young men single? Are they being excluded from a brutal mating market by society? And he says, probably not. 45% of men age 18 to 25 have never approached a woman in person. Whoa! What? No, no, no. This has got to be a mistake. Sorry. Mistake. Come on. Didn't you go to school? I mean, are are they saying someone your age after? I'm, I'm totally confused by this. How do you meet people? This is crazy. I think what we're seeing is a component of the Me Too movement of wokeness. And I I can't believe that uh, men have not approached women in person. I mean, I I can't believe it, but this is shocking. And this is devastating for human existence. You see, here's how it used to work back in the day. Look, obviously, you don't go up to women and scream things at them or, you know, say stupid, corny, gross, horny things. It's something simple like, how do you do? You know, hey, uh, you live around here? Uh, my name's Tim. Nice to meet you. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, for me, it was easy because I used to do nonprofit fundraising. I would literally approach random women all day. So uh, I used to do uh, Green Pre- Greenpeace, uh, Environment America stuff. Uh, it's a different organization. Uh, actually, did fundraising for the ACLU at one point. Boy, did they let me down. And what do you do? You stand out in the middle of the street and you have a clipboard with sign up forms and you talk to strangers all day like sales. And uh, it's true. Men tend to get signups from women. Women tend to, get, tend to get signups from men. That's just the way it goes. But it's, you know, like 60, 40, maybe. I talk to a lot of guys, mostly talk to women. But uh, seriously, it's super easy and not creepy. And it's very strange that we have developed this society. I'm standing there wearing, you know, a hoodie and jeans. And I see uh, a, a young woman. I, I, I'm telling you, I would stop men and women equally. We're trying to raise money, right? We're trying to sail. But I'm talking about when it's a woman, I just go like, hey, how's it going? What are you doing? And she's like, uh, I'm going to work. And I'd be like, oh, that's cool. Well, uh, you got a second? Let's talk. And she'd be like, okay. And I'd be like, I'm here to take money from you. I would always do, I would always do stuff like that. I wasn't supposed to. They get mad at me for doing it. They, they would always want you to be like, hi, I'm here to talk about the environment. Let's chat or something like that. Do you have a minute to talk about saving the trees? Yeah, I never did that. That was super corny. I'd be like, what up? And they're like, uh, what's up? And I'm like, where are you gone? 
And they'd be like, going to work or going to school or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, that's cool. Well, uh, come here. We're going to talk for a little bit. And uh, I'm here to talk about what's happening to this world, which I know you care about because you're a good person, right? Of course you are. See, we got a problem. And then I'd go into it. It's crazy. Just talk to people. But here's where we are right now. Look at this. Look at this uh, data right here. Rare approachers, all men, never more than one a year. It's crazy. So like, you've got a third that are saying they do. It says a size. Uh, this is what Alexander Post, a sizable minority of men are not approaching women at all. In the entire data set, 29% of men said they never approached a woman in person before. 27% said it had been more than one year. This is larger for men in the age 18 to 25 group. Okay, okay, hold on. Okay, right now, I have not approached a woman in public in a very long time, probably in 10 years or something. Uh, well, for one, I'm in a relationship and I work, and so I'm not in the dating market. But if they're specifically referring to single people, there you go. I'm hoping that's the point because otherwise the data would be skewed. He says it was larger for men in the 18 to 25 group. 45% had never approached a woman in person. This is again consistent with the hypothesis of a generational risk aversion trend in Zoomers. Wow. 17% had never approached a woman in more than a year. Never in more than one year are discrete groups. This means that about half of all single men in my data set are effectively not approaching women for dates in person crazy. Man, look, I don't think it makes sense to be standing on the sidewalk waiting for a pretty girl and then going like, hey, what's up? What are you doing? Because like, sure, if you're fundraising, you talk to strangers. But meeting some random woman like that, that's a little extreme, right? But if you're at a bar or somewhere where clearly you have some common uh, uh, interests, like maybe you're at a uh, racetrack, Maybe you like going to watching the horses over at Charlestown races. Now, for the most part, people can be with their friends. You know, it's not like some woman's walking around by herself or at a racetrack by herself. So it's not super easy. But you go to a bar, you might see uh, a couple of women. And the traditional thing that guys would do is be like, hey, can I buy you a drink? And uh, that's how you start the conversation. Maybe that makes the most sense. I'm not a big fan of that, I guess. I always just met people kind of where I was and what I was doing and through other people. So to be fair, you don't need to be. And I think this is this is very, very important. Some of these guys are probably meeting people through other people, meaning you don't approach strangers in the street. Right. I think that's fair. But I am surprised to find that about half of all dudes have never approached women in public. That's kind of crazy to me. Now, I know what may be happening is that these younger guys are are they've been told over and over and over again that you're a creep if you do so. There's that viral video, five hours of walking through New York as a woman, and you have a guy being like, howdy. And it's like, oh, oh, oh it's disgusting. Yeah, that's not how we people operate. That's not how people are. I tell you this as somebody who did fundraising and talked to strangers all day, every day. It would be really funny. We Actually, that's a good bit. Five hours of walking through New York City as a woman, and everyone's going like, hi, I'm here for Greenpeace. Hi, I'm here for the ACLU. Do you want to save the children? Children's International. Save the trees. And it's like, uh, uh, everyone's trying to get money off you. I like the bit they did, five hours of walking through New York as a man. And it's like someone throws him a foot. They keep throwing him footballs. Someone puts a crown on him and they all lift him up and they carry him down the street. Uh, we get it. We get it. But um, they say, uh, let's read more. These men are significantly more risk averse than those men who do not approach women. I just, I really don't get it. I really don't get it. Um, maybe it's skateboarding. And uh, no, I, I genuinely mean this. So I'm 14 years old and I had never dropped in before. I know. I started skating when I was 13. So 
at 14. It's not no surprise that uh, and it was like it was like late 13, I think. And uh, uh, so I was almost 14. And so I'm like, yeah, I've, I can't drop in. It's scary. You put your skateboard on a quarter pipe looking down. It is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, I can drive a car, you know, like we go kart. My parents teach me. Well, I actually didn't drive till I was 18. But, um, you know, like I can sit in a car, high rates of speed. I'm not scared of flying a plane, whatever. And here I am looking down five feet to the ground and it's terrifying. I'm like, I'm going to fall. I'm going to hit my head. I'm going to get hurt. Is it scary? Most people freeze up. They can't do it. And then people will like hold your hands and try and walk you through it. Well, I didn't have that luxury. I'm standing on top of this quarter pipe looking down. And this is everything that everyone this is what everyone always says. I get somebody like an older dude and he's like, you have to do it if you're going to get hurt. And this is what I this is what I say to people. I tell these kids, do it. You will fall. You will get hurt. It happens. Maybe you make it through your first drop in, you know, but it's not going to be that bad. And what I mean by hurt is you're going to roll on the ground like you've already done a million times. So just accept it. Take the risk and don't be scared because when you're scared is when you get hurt. Focus. I drop in for the first time. I fall down and I like, you know, slide on my knees and like, you know, scrape my my pants up a little bit. And then it was like a switch was flicked. And I was like, yes. And then I ran to the top of that thing, put that board down and dropped in. Got it. And from that point on, I could just do it. It was the fear holding me back. Then later in life, I'm offered this job where it's like you need to talk to strangers. And I was like, that sounds easy. Maybe because it's the risk that I started taking when I was skateboarding was like breaking my bones and I had already broken my hand. Not my fault, by the way. Someone crashed into me. So for these risk averse men, I'm imagining what's happening is they've never actually experienced, uh, for the most part, like some kind of physical trauma. And so you're thinking like, but what if she rejects me? And it's just like, but what if? I don't know. Like, what's going to happen? Now, I get it. A lot of people are worried they'll film you, they'll insult you, and you'll go viral on the internet. Well, yeah, but don't be a creep. You can say something like, hey, how you doing? Uh, what's going on? And she'll be like, do I know you? Be like, no, but honestly, I'm trying to meet people. And I live in the area uh, trying to make friends. So I don't know if you want to be friends with me, but that'd be pretty cool. Uh, maybe we end up hating each other. Maybe we end up becoming good friends and play Mario Kart 64. And then you'll laugh. You need charisma, I suppose. Maybe some people don't have it. Maybe they're too shy. But you only build this stuff up by going out and socializing. So maybe what you do is start by going to a bar and talking to the bartender. Learn how to communicate and stuff like that. Maybe the bartender's a dude. Maybe the bartender's a female. But whatever. You hang out. You go there during like happy hour or sometime when it's slow. And you, uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend getting drunk. But you just hang out and you, and you say, you know, I'm just trying to get out more. I'm trying to meet people. I don't know if I'm very good at socializing, so I'm trying. And then the bartender will talk to you because that's what bartenders do. And then you're going to pick up those skills. My point is, I think a lot of these guys are spending so much time on the internet that they're, they're afraid. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to act or they don't have the charisma. And for me, I just never really cared. You know, when I first started doing that job, I wasn't that good at it. Actually, here's, a, here's a, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I had help from my friends to, to, to start, you know, figuring out how to do this. But within a week I had figured it out. I was like, this is easy. You just talk to people. That's all you do. And, uh, you be real. You have a conversation. Obviously, uh, I talk a lot and apparently I'm good at talking. That's, I, I made a job out of it and not everybody can, but this is my advice, man. I'm not saying for you young guys who are trying to date, trying to figure out how to pick up chicks. I'm not saying go out in the middle of the street and wave to them and be like, Hey, you come here. No, don't do that. If you don't know 
you know, if, I, I've seen these, I see these like uh, 4chan memes where it's like, like a guy, he's saying like, family says I'm so quiet, when I want to talk more, make a crude joke, everyone's disgusted, go to my room embarrassed. I'm like, yeah, the internet is not good for your social development, okay? You need to go out to a bar, and I got to be completely honest, people are nice. They really are. There's evil people out there. Politics can be a dirty game. But uh, I shout out to skateboarding again. If you are 50 years old and you've never skated before and you go to a skate park, for the most part, and you have your board and you're riding around and you go to any 12-year-old or 14-year-old kid and be like, hey, uh, like, I'm not saying creep on children, obviously. I'm saying if you are an adult man who has no skill and these kids are, are, are thrashing and ripping, these, even these kids are going to give you advice and help you and cheer for you. It's, it's not going to be like, it's not embarrassing. Same thing for, for going to a gym. Obviously, I'm not saying, you know, creep on kids. I'm saying you're going to go to a skate park. There's going to be a bunch of teenagers and they're going to be super legit. They're going to be stoked. They're going to be like, hey, old man wants to kickflip. And then you laugh and you'll be like, old man's going to get a kickflip. And they're going to be like, all right, dude, here, check it out. Here's how you do it. People love sharing knowledge. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel like they're good at something. You go to a gym, you're overweight. Yo, no one's going to make fun of you. Maybe, but who cares? Screw those people. You're here for you to make your life better. But I tell you this, 99.9% of people, you go to a gym, walk up to any dude who's working out and be like, I'm here for the mission, man. I'm going to make my life better. Uh, I need help. And they're going to be like, bro, here's what I would recommend. In fact, not only that, the people working at the gym are going to be like, what do we have to do so that you come here every day because we make money when you do, right? You're going to walk into the gym and there's going to be a guy working there and you're going to be like, I want to get healthy. I want to get fit. I want to start working out. Maybe you're not fat. Maybe you're skinny. Maybe you're not skinny. Maybe you're fat or whatever. And, he, and, and the, the guy at the gym is going to be like, what are you looking for? Do you want to be Arnold and get super ripped or you just want to be lean and healthy? And you're going to say, I guess this. I'm like, I got you here. They'll walk you over to a machine, say, here's how you do it, man. Best of luck. Ask me if you have any questions. And the other people working out are going to high five you when you succeed. They're going to cheer for you if you want to be part of that community. The thing is, I really do encourage everybody. I recommend you get out there, you talk to people because this stuff freaks me out. It ain't hard and people are good. So like I said, I think the easiest path for all of you who are older than, older, older than 21, or I mean, heck, maybe even, you're, uh, even if, you're, if you're 18, there's coffee bars. Maybe you sit at a bar and they're serving coffee and espresso and uh, you sit down, you order a coffee. And then while the bartender is working, you could just be like, so, uh, you know, how long have you guys been open? Ask questions about the business. And uh, maybe they get agitated. Maybe they're like, look, I'm busy. I can't really talk. And you're like, okay, whatever. But that usually just never happens. You sit down at one of these restaurants. We went to a local shop in Harper's Ferry. And I'm with my buddy, Robbie. And he just, this dude can talk. So he's, he, he, starts, he, he asks all these questions just nonstop. And the guy working there is super excited to answer all these different questions. This is how you build charisma. It's how you learn to interact and socialize. And this will help you here. You're going to get a date. You're going to find you're going to find women. Look at this one here. Men successful approaches past year. He says, what about men who do approach? Most are successful to some extent. 68% reported making at least one successful romantic connection. That's amazing. Look at this one. Zero in uh, uh, what does this say? What, what's a two month uh, long term relationship? 86.58% said they didn't get there. Only like 10%. Uh, saw one long-term relationship from uh, a successful approach. Most people make the connection. More than 50% of the time, 
I'm sorry. Right. So more than 50% of the time, there's going to be between one up to five or more. Only 41% said the connection did not work with their approach. Look, man, I'm not fundraising. I see a young woman and I go, hey, what's going on? And she goes, not today. And I'm like, have a good one. That's it. And I'm just like, on to the next request. And some people don't even talk to. I just wave and I stand there. I'm like, hey. And they're like, you're waving at me. I'm like, I'm waving at you. And they'll be like, oh, what's going on? I got to tell you, dude, I really loved the job. I hated the evil of the nonprofits. But it's really funny, the easy ways to talk to people. So they tell you, wave and smile and say, uh, uh, you know, hi, do you have a minute to talk about the environment? Yeah, like that's going to work. No, you know what I would do? I would see uh, this is I'll tell you what really works for dudes. I want to talk to a guy. I want his money, right? Dude's walking by and I'm like, howdy. And I reach my hand out to shake his hand. And you know what the man will do? He will shake my hand. And I'll say, I'm Tim. And I just got you. We're going to save the environment. He goes, oh, no. And it's funny. It's funny. Because everybody knows that when these people were, when you're doing the pamphleting, when you're doing the clipboarding, they're like, don't make eye contact. They'll get you. So I would like walk up, shake the guy's hand, and he'd be like, hi, uh, do I know you? And I'd be like, you do now. My name's Tim. And I stopped you because I want your money. And then he'll laugh and be like, oh, okay. And I'll be like, right, clipboard, we're fundraising. And then they laugh. And uh, you make it personal. For, uh, for young women, I just wave, be like, hey, how's it going? And they'd be like, are you talking to me? And I'd be like, yep. And they'll be like, oh, hi, what's going on? And I'll be like, I'm, taking, I'm raising money for, for environmental causes. And they'll go, oh, everybody gets it. And they'll, and they'll take out their headphones and they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, you got me. And it's fun. It's a funny interaction. Not everybody has that like, oh, you got me. Some people are like, oh, hey, what's up? And then I'm like, I'm out here with Greenpeace or insert nonprofit. And we're here to fundraise because uh, there's a lot of issues in the world that are bad. And I, I think you agree. And so let me just let me just give you the quick pitch. And they're just like, sure, lay it on me. And then there's a bunch of techniques they try to teach you. And I just think that's like, yeah, it's like to most of it really just comes down to do you care about what you're talking about? Do you know what you're talking about? Are you are you confident in what you're talking about? Right. So I would just do the quick pitch and I'd be like, look, man, we've got forests being torn down all over the world, mostly in South America. They're setting up soy farms and they're, you know, they're 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 tearing these forests down in the Amazon. They're tearing these trees down. And it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing in the sense that we are not replacing these trees. Well, we got to do that. So we're going to need laws about sustainable forestry. There was a period in the United States where we were tearing these trees down. We, we started to bring them back. I know that you don't have time to dedicate your life to chaining yourself to a tree. And then they laugh. Yeah, I would never do that. And right. You get the point. I love doing these pitches. Uh, you can tell because I basically do it still every single day with this show. And here I am approaching all of you to the, to the tune of hundreds of thousands to millions of people every day. Here's what I want for you. And here's why I'm ranting on this stuff. I'm really, really passionate about human communication, which is obvious based on the job that I do. I love the idea of people talking to each other and sharing ideas. Hence, we have multiple shows where we do that. I want you to succeed in your human connections, which is why we're building a coffee shop where people can come and hang out and interact. I want you to succeed in doing this. And this tweet from this dude is just like, it's crazy to me. There is nothing wrong and there is nothing to worry about. If a woman says, look, man, I'm not interested in talking to you. You say, my apologies. And that's it. And let them insult you. Let them smear you. Oh, they post a video about you. Who cares, man? It's you. You must improve. Failure must. You know how many times successful people have failed? Probably more than people who've, who've not succeeded. Because in order to succeed, you have to have tried. They say, um, you miss all of the shots you don't take, as the saying goes. And uh, I know for many of you, 
something men have experienced. You were at a mall. You were at the train station and you saw a beautiful woman who had a patch on her backpack. And that patch was a band, a movie, an anime, a video game that you were a big fan of, too. And you were like, I got a stink bug flying around. And so you, you saw that and you were like, oh, man, I probably have a lot in common with her. We could probably talk a whole lot, but I can't I can't talk to her. I can't do it. I can't bring it up. I don't know. And that's a bummer. Because if you see someone, let's say you're a fan of uh, One Piece. I'm not a fan of One Piece. It's whatever. I know people really love it. It's an anime for those unfamiliar. But let's say you saw uh, a woman around your age, uh, you're at college or whatever, and she's got a Monkey D. Luffy little stuffed thing hanging from her backpack. It's like, dude, you're probably going to enjoy hanging out with each other and watching anime, right? You got that in common. Or maybe there's someone running track. Maybe there's someone playing football. Like maybe you have something in common. That's the easiest thing to start a conversation. And you can be like, hey, are you a One Piece fan? And she'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm like, oh, super cool. Like, hey, my name's so-and-so. Nice to meet you. Do you live around here? Oh, I'm a big fan of insert thing. You got to learn how to do it. I know, I know. I'm rambling. But uh, there are so many misconnections and so many opportunities for people to be hanging out with each other and sharing life. And, 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 and it's just, it's, it's, it's a sad, sad tweet. Anyway, I'm, I'm ranting on this one. I'm going to wrap it up there. Uh, what is it? Next segment's coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then.